When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome, everybody, to a Monday edition of Spits and Suds. It's a celebratory Monday edition as we welcome in uh, the guy who does an amazing job covering the NHL, Sean Shapiro, formerly of The Athletic, worked for NHL.com. So happy to have him on Spits and Suds on Mondays and Fridays. And two-time Stanley Cup champion Craig Ludwig joins us on Wednesdays. How are you today, Sean? I'm good. I'm good. I need to uh, figure out something for, I need to figure out a better tagline for myself so I can compete with the two time Stanley cup champion that's <laughs> coming right after me. So, but other, 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 otherwise I'm good. I've like two time, uh, I don't know. I barely team one this year, so I could Man. go with something like that, but I, but I don't have the two time Stanley cup champion cachet for that, that the following line after me. does. But what <laughs> you do have Sean is you do not break my confidence each week. Like Craig Ludwig does. <laughs> see <laughs> it's just a podcast of him pounding away at me <laughs> so man i'm celebrating based on this weekend that you know you look at games and you know if you win you're like all right that's a good win i kind of looked at saturday as a test and i'm like okay wow that crossed off a lot of check marks for this guy including something that I've seen more consistently this year, and that's consistency, Um, not taking periods off and just basically putting on the gas and not letting up. And then I started thinking after the game, and I'm like, wow, that's not even, you know, Ottinger's not even playing. So uh, just just really happy with the performance on uh, Saturday. Your thoughts? Oh yeah, I thought it was. It's been. Uh, it was the is the twelfth game for the stars. So you had a dozen, and it's for so long we've been talking about like worry about the sample size, worry about the sample size, all that stuff we've been talking about for a long time. And I think you're starting to get to the point where 10, 12 games, you've played a good cross section of teams. You start to feel better about a team being good or bad. Obviously, things can change, but you start to feel better about it, and then. You go and with your backup goalie, you're against the best player in the world. You go and you have a pretty dominant win. And the fact of the matter is, I know the Oilers' perspective of this game will be the game was closer than the score was. The goaltending probably has has not been what it's needed to be in Edmonton, but Dallas was a better team. I felt like they controlled the game, and it's just things are rolling in such a right direction for the stars team right now. I mean, you look at heading into tomorrow's game against Winnipeg right now, they're, I believe it's fourth in the league and fourth in the league in total points. You've got their third in the league and in, in goal differential. Like if the team isn't just winning, they're looking good while doing it. It's not, it's less of a coin flip and it's more of like, you know what? They should have won that game. And, and that's, that to me was what this Edmonton game was where it's like, that's doing that against a good team against the best team in the world. And they looked like they looked like you could, if you were looking from outside and didn't have a Dallas or Oilers 
hue of this game. You can be like, you know what? Dallas looks like one of the best teams in the West. And I think that's one of the most notable things that I take out of this. You follow up what you did in Arizona and then you do it to Edmonton. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. The other question I had going into the season was the quarterback situation on the power play with the loss of John Klingberg. I really felt as though he was essential on the power play. And that's just a name we haven't really thought of due to the success of this team. Yeah. I mean, and it hasn't hurt that, uh, since John has gone to Anaheim, he has not had the same type of success that a lot of people thought he might. Um, and so that obviously hasn't hurt as well. Um, but give Miro Hishkinen a ton of credit for, I mean, we we already knew Miro and we've talked about him glowingly so many times in this space and everything like that, but just the power play space and the offensive mojo to control a game is something that I think he kind of, that was the one thing he kind of needed in his game. He needed to guide, he, he had been kind of that within his personality and how he plays, everything is so calm, composed and everything like that. And you just wanted to see him kind of be more John Klingberg like on the power play. And I think we've seen more of that with Miro. He's still calm and composed. He's still making smart decisions, but he's also guiding this, this power play. He's making them better. He's putting things in the right position. And that's the space where when we talked about Klingberg leaving, it could have been potentially addition by subtraction. This is the only way it could have been that way was with Miro taking this power play opportunity and running with like the way he has. I mean, we saw he was out and and when he was hurt and they missed a couple games, it struggled. He came back and we've seen what it's done. It's, it's, it's just, it's a wonderful sign for a player that already had a sky high ceiling. It just goes a little bit higher. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. and, And you know, we, we talk about that ceiling and just continuing to edge up just a little bit. Jason Robertson. I know that a lot of people had questions after the series in Calgary last year, first round of the playoffs, but boy, is he, he just picked up where he left off and actually increased. And what I love about Jason Robertson is it's just, you know, kind of like old school hockey where not going to be the fastest skater on the ice, um, but positions himself and has this awesome ability, similar to Joe Pavelski, similar actually to what Brett Hull you know, the puck seems to find him. And that's a skill to me. And I just feel as though Jason Robertson, you know, every time he's on the ice and just his confidence as a player is is growing. So your thoughts on Jason Robertson, but also, you know, in your career covering the NHL, covering the Stars, I just wonder that trio's doing so well. How much is the success of the trio actually the trio itself rather than the individual's? Uh, well, I, I think it's a well-constructed trio, just to put it that way. Like, it's, I feel like Pavelski is someone who can really play with 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 anyone, and he has that, and he can really play with anyone, just with his brain and everything like that. And I feel like Robertson is kind of like that, too. Um, but I think Hintz really adds that element, too, where he's that burner that goes up and down. He's a little bit more of the active guy moving around that allows Pavelski and Robertson to kind of kind of shade into the background a little bit or, or move at their own pace. And with Robertson, I think I remember people when there was the contract situation, he hadn't been signed yet. He missed all the training camp. People were wondering like, Oh, is he going to have a slow start? Is he going to have a, I mean, Jason Robertson 
no matter what team or system he's in, Jason Robertson is going to play his game. But I think that's yeah. kind of something that we need to remember about, about goal scorers. I mean, Jason Robertson scored 40 plus goals playing for a team last year where everyone was yelling about they weren't good enough offensively. He scored 40 plus goals. I mean, Jason Robertson was never going to be an issue because of his game is played to use the cliche between the years. He knows where to go, all that stuff. And for everyone who made such a big deal about his skating when he was drafted, myself included, lots of people when he was drafted, like, oh, well, the skating never be good enough at the NHL ever. Will ever be good enough? Will ever be good enough? Well, you don't need, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you're getting there if you're getting there. And that's, that's what Robertson's, that's what Robertson's been yeah. doing. He's just been he's in the right place at the right time. To me, he's just a natural finisher. And there's things that at the end of the day, you can work on and you can make better and everything like that. But there are certain things you can't teach. And that's just kind of the instinct that Robertson has um, even more so than uh, like a guy like Pavelski, like Pavelski, obviously great overall player has, has had a long career is always in the right spot because he's worked on it. But Joe Pavelski doesn't have the natural instinct Robertson has with the puck when in certain spaces, like there's a, there's a level of instinct that Jason Robertson has that you can't teach that, that the only the elite, the very select few, not even the elite players have it, just a select few players have it. And you could give them almost any body type and they would have success in the NHL. And that's who Jason Robertson is. And it's, it's just kind of one of those spaces where that contract is going to be a bargain for Dallas. Like great. It's a great signing for Dallas. It was. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's one of the best lines in hockey. I don't want to say it's the best line in hockey, but from an offensive perspective, if you said, Hey, I want one line out there to score a goal for me with a minute left in the game. I'd probably pick that line. Honestly, just, I'm, I don't know if I'd pick that line as the best line in all situations, five on five and all that, but I need a goal late. I'm probably going to that line if, from picking almost that from almost any group. I think this is the uh, weekly reminder of the 2017 NHL entry draft in which Jim Nill <laughs> pulled off Miro Heiskanen, as you mentioned, and then traded to go back into the first round to grab Jake yeah. Ottinger. And then in the second round, 39th overall, Jason Robertson. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a draft that changed the franchise. And it's something where it's like, I don't think we can, you can't overstate that. It's just, it's, it's just a matter of fact. This, the Dallas stars are where they are right now because of the 2017 draft. Jim Nill is still the GM of the stars because of the 2017 draft. Those, yeah. are, those two are, those two are facts in my mind. Do you have any insight on, were there any organizational changes? And I ask that, or was it just the development of his staff? Because there were some tough picks in there and it just seems as though, uh, the stars are getting better and more consistent as far as their top draft picks paying off. Um, there hasn't been. I mean, Joe McDonnell has has run the stars draft since uh, so Nils since Nils second season. Joe McDonnell has run his drafts, and Joe McDonnell used to run help used to be in Detroit and ran drafts there as well. Um, so it's been the same scouting staff. It's been the same. I think it's a combination of, I think it's more so it's a combination of being a little bit thinking more about what your board is as opposed to a player type. I think that's something we've seen more with Dallas where it's uh, we've seen some more of like, okay, let's take the, the guy with who has the best 
upside. I think, I think there was times in the past and we've seen things where Dallas has made the pick where they took the guy who maybe didn't have the highest ceiling, but he had a higher floor and like, like the Radic Fox, pick, like, for example, and now that's not, that's not a Jim Nill pick, but the Radic Fox, pick, like Radic Fox is a fine NHL piece, but he's not a first, it's not yeah. the type of player you want to use a first round pick. On. He's not like, number 12 type, overall. Exactly. That's the type of guy where you should be picking that type of guy in the second, third, fourth round. And I think we saw him too many times. We saw Dallas picking the guy who was like, Oh, this guy is well coached. This guy is, this guy is a strong defensive game. I think too many times you saw them picking the guy who had the solid foundation as opposed to picking the guy who maybe you could pop and go. And I think that's kind of the 2017 draft is a perfect example of they took a risk by taking a goal in the first round. It's going to pay off with Jake Ottinger. Jason Robertson, probably a first-round talent who fell to the second round because of his skating. You took him because of that offensive pop. I think seeing the stars look more at what's high upside, what's the like the Maverick Bork pick I really like, the Logan Stankoven pick. Those picks were like, let's look at what's the best this guy could be because we don't need to get high uh, high ceilings. I mean, high uh, high basements anymore. We need we need to focus on high ceilings. So I think that's kind of been the biggest thing you've noticed. And I don't know. I don't know if the stars would even admit that, but just from my outside perspective, looking at it with the same people involved, I think that's kind of where it came to kind of focus a little bit more of like, where can we find more of the high skill skill ceiling in these draft picks than overall saying we need to have five boxes checked. Let's just have two boxes checked that are great and see what the rest comes with it. Yeah. The Riley Tufty uh, pick is no, not to say it this way, but tough to, to yeah. take. Um, yeah, that mm-hmm. that one's a little tough. Watching him in college, I just, you know, as he developed, I'm like, okay, this is going to be tough. And I always say, like, you know, what Maverick Bork's going through, what Thomas Harley's going through, these youngsters, I, I appreciate what they do in the juniors, um, but I like to see them, to me, you know, when you saw Jason Robertson or Jake Ottinger in Texas, you're like, okay, we, I think we have something here. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, you know, I think most of the players in the AHL just lack consistency, but they could all get the call up. They're, that's a pretty special league. Yeah, the, I mean, the AHL is a very good league. The AHL is a very – the AHL is a more grinding defensive league too so it's harder to get your shot off too it's something where it's you go from your entire you go from your entire life playing junior hockey or college or or anything like that and you were always had that space and the opportunity you see with guys coming from junior guys coming from europe all of a sudden the spacing gets tighter in the ahl i always think one of the biggest jumps actually is i actually think the the jump from anything else to the ahl is actually bigger at times than the AHL to the NHL, because I think you could take guys who play a smart game in the AHL and they could do the same thing in the NHL. It's just a matter of who got that chance and who didn't like the Luke Glendennings of the world. For example, there's 15 other Luke Glendennings in the world. Luke Glendenning just happened to be at the right place at the right time to get the call up over someone else. And, and, and there's so many players like that in the AHL. And I, to me, that's kind of the big thing when it comes to prospect development of can guys find that consistency in that level to get out of the A to sorry to, to to have success in the AHL? And can you find the, the shift to find your role in the NHL? And that's why I think you see so many times you get excited about these guys and you see these these numbers and junior and everything like that. And 
I, I have a hard time now and, and, and part of it maybe I'm becoming a little bit of a curmudgeon and get off my lawn type after someone who covered the <laughs> AHL for so long, but like too many times I've seen guys that were in the AHL and look good. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's an NHL player. And then he never panned out to anything. And I think oh, it's, yeah. kind of, it's, it just becomes more and more of a, you have to prove things. And I think the stars are at a spot where you're seeing a lot of steps going in the right direction. When it comes to player development, you're starting to see guys who are, given more opportunities you're starting to see guys who have the spot to to prove they can or can't do something like I actually think Thomas Harley being in the AHL is a great decision right now because I want him playing 22 23 minutes a night on the power play yeah and I want you to find and I want you to find out I mean if Thomas Harley doesn't pan out as a star that sucks but at the end of the day if you find out find that out because he was playing you gave him 12 minutes a night in the age and not that's ridiculous. That'd be a ridiculous penalty night, but he's, he's averaging four to five minutes on the power play and everything like that each night. And then you're learning that way. I'm fine with that. Like I'm fine. If he doesn't pan out because he couldn't cut it there, I don't blame the stars for that pick. Then. So mm-hmm. I, to me, it's kind of a, in a long rambling answer, I think stars development has gotten better. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think there's also learn how to be a pro. And sometimes when you go up too quick, you think that it all comes to you. And, oh, you know, for sure, for sure. Facing the grind of, I mean, obviously the facilities are better nowadays. The road trips are easier. However, it's still a grind being in the AHL. And there are people down there um, like a McKenzie that can teach you, you know, how to be a pro, be a, be a leader. And uh, then when you get that recall up, um, you're ready to go. So it'll be interesting, you know, because I do have my eyes on Harley. Um, you know, how is he developing 10 games? He has five points, but I'm also looking at how is he developing as a defenseman? You know, is he, you know, continuing with his assignments throughout the ice, things like that. But he's Sean Shapiro and I'm Gavin Spittle. And thanks for joining us on this edition of Spits and Suds. We threw it out there the other day. We got your responses. It's time for Twitter mailbag time. And uh shout out to at MB Tendy, who asks, what are the odds Ben takes a team-friendly deal once his contract ends so he retires as a Dallas star? If he does that, is it safe to say he'll be the second best player in franchise history, possibly number one above Mo? This is coming off a hat trick, so I think that's why that tweet came out. I personally feel in three years from now, sure, a team-friendly deal. Why not? Um, but that's three years from now. So we have a long way to go. Um as far as second or first biggest Dallas star, uh, I'm I'm going to say no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I have two I have two answers to that question. Um, the issue is, uh, well, for one, and I mean, I know some people disagree with me, but the greatest Dallas star of all time is Sergei Zubov, not Mike Madano, actually. Mike Madano was tremendous in the face of the franchise and everything he did. But you look at, if you could tell me to go through Dallas Stars franchise history, and pick one player for one game, I'm picking Sergei Zubov. Interesting. So that's, uh, that's, that would be, uh, and maybe Miro gets up there at some point, but right now that's, uh, but Jamie Ben has obviously had a, what he's given to this franchise is great and everything like that. And, yeah. and, but to put him in the top two Dallas stars of all time, I can't, I can't do that. Um, as far as the, I, I wonder, and so Jamie is right now, he, he's 30, I believe he'll be 34 this summer. He's got 
two more, three more. Uh, he's got this year. It'll be thirty. I think he'll be thirty-six. I think that Jamie Ben essentially at the end of his at the end of this deal, I think we see one of two things happen. I think either we see him if he has won, if he's won a Stanley Cup, which obviously Stars fans would be thrilled. If he's won a Stanley Cup, I would wonder and think if maybe his career is over at the end of this deal, just from a perspective of Jamie likes being in Dallas, the where, where the thing where things have gone, and as things kind of go and as the game goes, it's just I love what Jamie's doing right now, but another three years of wear and tear of his style on his body, I don't know if that's going to be a smart contract for anyone. Just yeah. to be to be blunt. Um, if Jamie hasn't won a Stanley Cup in the next three years, I wonder if he goes kind of a little bit of what Corey Perry's trying to do right now, where he signs kind of an entry-level deal, not entry-level, sorry, a, low, a, a veteran minimum deal with a team that has like what Tampa's done, where they've signed some of those guys who are probably could get more money somewhere else, but kind of have the cup chaser coming. And I wonder if Jamie would do that. I don't think so. I think Jamie Ben probably retires a star, but I think it might be at the end of this deal just based on how his style grinds and wears on a body. And he's going to be, he's 30, I'm doing math out loud in my head, 34, 30. he's going to be 36 at the end of this deal. And he's the way his body's been beaten up and, and, and everything like that. It's an older than, it's going to be older than a 36 year old body. And that's, as, as you know, what well, well, no, Gavin, that's not, 36 is not young, unfortunately, for pro right. athletes, much as that makes the rest of us feel old. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, you're 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 absolutely right. And I, I think the other thing is is it's tough to say best first or second Dallas star when I don't know if your number's gonna get hung if the stars stick to that policy because right now it's Hall of Famers. Yeah, it's Hall of Famers and it's uh well I mean Yuri Latin is not in the Hall of Fame. Um, you're right, you're right. But it's uh, but it's it's Hall of Famers and guys who won the cup and I think right now, especially with just, especially with kind of, I, I look at, and I don't try to bring everything back to Detroit, but I just think it's a good example since it's something I see firsthand and it's an organization that teams have, that they've got some close ties to, but people, if I told you, if I told you that number 91 for Sergei Fedorov in Detroit is not retired, you would probably tell me I'm crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is not retired because Sergei Fedorov and the Illich family aren't exactly in aren't exactly close anymore, um, and so owners are the ones who get to decide to hang banners. And we've seen a long history of Tom Gillardi voicing his frustrations about Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan. And if Jamie Ben doesn't win Tom Gillardi a Stanley Cup. I don't think Tom Gillardi is going to hang number 14. I just, I just, I have a hard time seeing one happen without the other. Um, It's just kind of a reality of as much as fans can push and want things to happen and everything like that. Like at the end of the day, it's the guy who owns the team who gets to decide which numbers are hanging in the rafters there. And I don't think Jamie Benn and Tom Gillardi have exactly the best history where one's going to go out of his way to paying 14, unless, unless 14 gets them another banner first. Yeah, no, that's a, that's great points. He's Sean Shapiro. I'm Gavin Spittle. Sam Green at Zombie Eliminator asks, if you were to call someone up from the Texas Stars, who would they replace on the active roster? I think, Sean, you and I both agree right now the roster is good. Everyone seems yeah. to be playing very well. Hard to bench somebody. Uh, all, all post Otter's injury, of course. 
Also, how sustainable do you think this pace is for the Stars? I think they're going to lose some games. I think there's a tough test tomorrow night with a team that's playing really well with Winnipeg with some extra incentive with Rick Bonus as their head coach. So that's going to be a tough test because, um, you know, the Stars thus far are kind of changing their some ways from years past. And one of the things that they need to change tomorrow night is um, not struggling against Winnipeg Jets. The Winnipeg Jets are a larger size team. And uh, I think the Stars over the years have, you know, kind of struggled against the Jets, especially in Winnipeg. Well, they have gotten better against uh, Winnipeg since Patrick Laine left because Patrick Laine killed them every yeah, single time. He was since Patrick Laine went to since Laine went to uh, Columbus, it's gotten a little bit better. Um, to answer the question about, I mean, obviously there'll be some regression. I expect Dallas to be within the top tier. I, I expect Dallas to kind of be in this kind of range throughout the season. Top, near the tops of the central battling with Winnipeg. I don't think it's, I think there'll be a little bit of regression here and there. Yeah. Uh, I think, but, but when it comes to when they asked like, Oh, who would you call up? And like, I think this roster is really well constructed right now. Um, I don't think there's you, I would call, I would, I would like to see uh, Matty Blumel maybe get an NHL game based off how he's played in the AHL, but there's no one where I'm going to go and say, oh, this guy needs to come out. Like right now, even with as much grief as Guryanov has gotten, I think Guryanov has turned a little bit of a corner and I still want to see what's going to happen there. Agreed. Um, so I don't I don't really see anyone that I would take out of the lineup right now. Um, once again, injuries change. Like I, yeah. I think obviously there will be injuries. There will be injuries. Injuries happen. We saw it already with, with the goaltending. Um, I would like to see Bloomball in an NHL game when that's required, but I don't want to force that. that and plus sense. you have Peterson who's waiting to play too. Yes. 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 So, uh, Jason at damn it. Jason. Great name asks, since you are both broadcasting from different locations, how will you appreciate and acknowledge Sean's general handsomeness on per podcast basis? So <laughs> if you haven't heard already, when I say on the podcast, we're talking to stud Sean Shapiro. I'm not talking about his hockey knowledge. So there you go. <laughs> I have no comment on that. But listen, question. ladies, he's a married man, all right? I have no comment. No yeah. question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. And, and by the way, you know, what about the single guy? At GJ Spittle, hit me up. Come on. <laughs> all right. Jordan Harper asks, uh, was it me or who thought Ryan Suter was really good versus the Oilers? I, you know, I'm going to say this. I know he isn't the sexy Ryan Suter that he used to be with Nashville or Minnesota, but I think Ryan Suter overall has been a solid contributor for the Dallas Stars. I, I think he's been better this season. I think last year was uh, last year. I had a I didn't really like his play much last year. I didn't like it particularly with the contracts. I think this year Suter has really makes some amends to that. To me, it's something where, once again, this is always kind of those, it's hard to look at these things in a vacuum, where if you had gotten a bought-out Ryan Suter to play that role for less money, I'm a little bit happier with it, but I have a hard time looking at it with the contract Dallas gave him. Um, but to answer the question, I thought he was good against Edmonton. Like, I thought for a lineup that is this quick and can go the way Edmonton did... Suter and, 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 and Suter didn't look out of place. He didn't look slow. Um, I thought I thought he had a good performance in that game. To me, to me, the Suter deal is one where I think you make 
you make your peace with it if you don't like the contract like I didn't but you also give him credit for what he did against Edmonton and and kind of acknowledge that he helps he helps smooth some things over um all that being said it's still the contract is tough and that's just the nature of this business and when you're looking at things because it's not as simple as plug and play and getting this guy in that way it's it's you start to wonder why is this guy here compared to someone else and what he did, what they did with the cap space. It's just hard with Ryan Suter for me for that reason. Yeah. And which makes it hard to distill the play on the ice sometimes. But if you ask me to distill the play on the ice, he was good against Edmonton. He's been solid this year. Um, and, and and you can't take that away from it. Once the contracts are signed, you have to move on and look at it that way as difficult as it can be sometimes. Right. Jordan also asked him, by the way, Jordan, thank you so much for listening. You are listening. He's a stars fan in Victoria, British Columbia. So, oh, cool. Yeah, shout out. Uh, uh, any chance we see Matt Murray play a game for the Stars? Any updates on the AHL team, which we've already answered? Um, boy, I don't, I don't see, I don't see a game coming for Matt Murray. Yeah, I, just I don't, don't see either. The schedule. I, I don't, I don't see the schedule. There's enough time well for Wedgwood to recover, yeah. and he's not getting overly pummeled. No, and and there's and Wedgwood's been good, and the schedule. There's not any real back. There hasn't been any back to back. Sondra's getting closer. Um, I don't think the stars are, and this is a wonderful place to be as, as you want your team in this spot. The stars aren't in a place where you're giving charity starts just for like, yeah. the, and the stars have been that team in the past. The stars have been in the spot where it's like, ah, we don't have a guy playing well, or we're not really good this year. So, you know what, let's give the kid a shot and see what happens. Like the stars aren't in that spot. They're in the spot where they're trying to win every night. And, and, Right now, the best chance of winning every night is Scott Wedgwood and Net. Now, if the injury goes on for Jake Ottinger longer and you have a back-to-back, I'm a big proponent that you don't play goalie goalie in both games the back-to-back. I think you'd have to come up to a back-to-back with Ottinger. With sorry, a back-to-back with Wedgwood and Murray both on the roster at the same time for Murray to play. Yeah, to play this year. I yeah, think. and that, I, that's kind of what that's yeah. So I, I don't like Murray at UMass. And that was yeah. a very good UMass team he played for, and uh, liked what he liked what I saw late in the year last year in Texas. So, um, you know, I'm interested to see um, if the seasoning can continue down at the uh, AHL level. So it yeah. would be uh, great to have a future uh, backup plan as well. And uh, mm-hmm. our guy uh, Fuzzy asked two questions: What is the best food at the AAC? His is the sugar-coated roasted pecans. Um, pecan, sorry, I'm in Texas. Um, so, <laughs> so that's the nutty Bavarian and I'm a big fan of the nutty Bavarian, man. That smell on the concourse is, uh, is big. Do you have a particular favorite, Sean? I don't really have a good See, My, this is going to sound. Oh, you're so spoiled I, press. I know, but since I, since I've covered, since I don't really buy food on concourses, I can't, I'm not, I'm not a good judge for this question. Now, I'm not a good judge for this question. Now, my favorite food, I've always been a sucker, and it's not a hockey thing, it's a baseball thing. I've always been a sucker for dollar dog nights at baseball games. That's always been my, like, go-to concourse food. But I I don't have a good answer for this because I don't, I can't, if I give an answer, I'll have slighted something else and given the wrong answer. So I'm going (laughs) to pass diplomatically. I'm with you. I'm with you, Fuzz. I, I like the Nutty Bavarian. Also, don't sleep on the baked potato. Not a bad baked potato at the AAC. He also asks, is there a missing piece on the roster that we can look to get before the trade deadline? I still think that's early. Um, let's see. Wouldn't mind a little depth on the uh, 
uh, a veteran defenseman maybe or something like that or maybe a uh, veteran fourth line player but it's uh it's still early so that is our mailbag um we'll ask for it again uh so keep asking your questions it's a it's a great way for us to uh communicate with you let's look forward to winnipeg and what are your thoughts uh for tomorrow night yeah i mean i think we, we already saw winnipeg once already this season but it was obviously a game where rick bonus didn't coach the game so i think there's always something um neat and not unique because there's there's so many ex-coaches around the league but there's always something there's always an element there when you're playing against a, a former stars coach that comes to play and with how this division has shaken out and consistency and everything like that these two teams have been the two best teams in the central thus far um i think we're going to see some other teams on the rise a little bit here but early on this is the class of the central and Winnipeg, as we talked about, even though Patrick Laine is gone, Winnipeg has been a bit of a house of cars for Dallas in the past. So I think this can be, as much as Edmonton was a statement, you can finish this road trip with a major exclamation point with a with a divisional win against an opponent that's right near you in the standings and a team that's for, it won't really as matter as much to the players, but from a, for a fan base, I'm sure every win against a former stars head coach is a sigh of relief. Cause you don't ever want to be like, Oh, we let that guy go and he beat us. Like, I, I think, I think it can be a statement win of sorts on a, on a couple different levels when it comes to both uh, fans and actual players in that locker room. That makes sense. He's Sean Shapiro. I'm Gavin Spittle. I did want to talk a, a few issues in NHL as we wrap this up. So Sean, you tweeted about the Kachuk stick to the face of Jonathan quick and NHL player safety. Um, released. They do it better to me than any league where they show the highlight and they explain why the two-game suspension happened. But you tweeted you thought it should be more than two games, and why is that? Yeah, and I say this coming from someone who speaks as a member of the the goaltenders union himself, as someone who still plays. Um, The cat eye cage, and this is something that people are going to if you've seen the video or you've seen a goalie mask, all NHL goalies wear a cat eye cage. And a cat eye cage is designed for better visibility and everything like that. And a puck cannot fit through that. A puck could potentially get wedged in there. We've seen that, but it won't go all the way through and get to an eye. A stick blade, however, can actually fit through a cat's eye cage. Like, so as much as anyone for me, when you take that information into account and when literally in the video, the NHL says, we see this as intent. And when there's intent and you're going towards that area, towards a goalie's eyes, that's a potentially career-ending injury. And to me, to me, that is not worthy. To me, that's worth that's worth way more than two games. I know it look it may not look like much, but when you think about that and you think about taking someone's eye out, basically, what could have happened if he went any further on that, that to me is worth more than two games. And so that that was my issue with that suspension. And I would have been, I actually would have been okay with a two-game suspension if the league didn't declare they felt there was intent to me, it was kind of like the whole thing, like, like, you know, like you can't be a little bit pregnant, right? Like you're either pregnant or you're not Yeah. like, it's like, it's, it's the whole, like, if there was an intent, if you say, if you're as a league say there's intent, that's gotta be more than two games. If you're saying this was foolish and he lost control of his stick. Okay. Maybe I could justify two games, but once you established intent, then it becomes so much worse for me. And that, that to me becomes the, 
that that's why I was disappointed with only two games for that. And I like Matthew Kachuk as a player. I think it's, this is not an anti-Matthew Kachuk thing. It's just a reality of that's a dangerous play that you don't want happen. And in, in, in we don't, that should not be in the sport of hockey. So, uh, by the way, uh, you know, I love talking to people in NHL circles and it was so funny. Someone just randomly brought up, Hey, saw you doing the podcast with Sean, not a bad goaltender. <laughs> so there you go. You have fans out there. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. so the other thing I wanted to talk to you about on Saturday night, Montreal is, um, playing Vegas and Josh Anderson uh, he's been suspended two games for a boarding uh, play on Alex Petrangelo. And then in the late game on Hockey Night in Canada, Vancouver-Nashville hit behind the net, and it was a hit to the back. So Tyler Myers comes in to protect his teammate, just like Petrangelo and you know gathered around Montreal to take out Josh Anderson. Both got both Vancouver- and Vegas got instigator penalties, and I feel as though it let those teams back in the game. In fact, Nashville went on to win that game, and Vancouver was dominating. I don't know if the NHL has a way to review or look at these situations, but I'm seeing teams get called for instigator situations after plays that aren't properly being called. And I wanted to get your thoughts if the league can do anything, because I hate to think that a team would do this, but this instigator penalty on Saturday night, for example, became awfully valuable for Nashville and the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, I actually think the the instigator penalty is has such a weird place in hockey at times right now, because it's something where it used to be, it's one of those, it's one of those penalties where what it is has evolved. Like it used to be something, Oh, there's a fight and we'll give it to the first guy. And then they never gave the instigator. And then all of a sudden they were referees were told to give it and everything like that. And um, I, I think the biggest part that this comes down to, and the biggest solution is not a simple one is, you just need more consistent officiating. And that's something that's something where obviously, and, and I think officials in many ways, in many places actually are much better than they get credit for. I think too many times you see people think, Oh, we got screwed by the ref. We got screwed by the ref. I think too many times, if your team had won, the other team could probably find something similar to say. I think though, where we're starting to find a lack of consistency is how some of these escalations are called and how they're, handled by like like what the marching orders are for the officials and i think that's something where the league needs to be a little bit better about they, they need to be a little better about helping establish that baseline right like like think about think about a baseball game right like one of one of, what's one of the biggest things about a baseball game it's kind of widely accepted where like the umpire kind of establishes the strike zone within the first first inning right roughly that's yeah. kind of a, yeah and you kind of accept that like What's a strike in the second inning, even if it's a ball by the definition of the rule, if that's still a strike in the second inning and the ninth inning, it's the same thing. You're fine. And I think you see a lot of that in hockey with how referees call the games. They'll call the games the same way throughout the game. But when it comes to these big escalation moments, there's not enough consistency across the board. And and that's kind of the space where I think the league needs better marching orders for its officials. It needs to take a look at that. 
Um, and they also need to be, we talk about consistency. They also need to be consistent in this messaging throughout the season. Cause how often do we see in a season where it's like first 10 games of the season, you see, Oh my God, there's all these slashing penalties. There's all these little slashing penalties. Cause clearly the, the referees were told, Hey, uh, we got to crack down on slashing this year. And then after about 10 games, they go back to what they were always doing. Like the league needs to just basically develop a consistent baseline in messaging that is going that you can see like, okay, if it's game one, if it's game 14, if it's game 73, it's going to be something similar. And just too often, I think it's left too far into officials hands. And I don't want the league being like calling from Toronto in every play, but I do think there needs to be more of a guys, this happened. Let's make sure we're calling this this way. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I just, I just looked at it and it's like, here's Tyler Myers. You know, clearly there was a hit against his teammate where the teammate could have held, I'm sorry, the Nashville player could have held up, saw the numbers. All he received was five minutes for fighting. Tyler Myers received two minutes uh, for instigating, five minutes for fighting, and a 10 for misconduct. And that totally changed the game. And I just, yeah, I agree with you. I mean... You know, they have to find a way to call it more consistently. I just think if, you know, I I don't want to necessarily put challenges in, more challenges in, but I do think sometimes on these instigators, I mean, the league has to say, like, so so Tyler Myers is supposed to just hold up and let that happen? You can't. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, if I'm the opposition and if Tyler Myers isn't going to come in, I'm going to do that more. To try to to try to goat them into a you know because Nashville at that point was struggling so uh, and same same with Montreal that really kick started Montreal for their comeback so you know I it, it's interesting um, I, like I said I think NHL player safety does a great job describing things um, so and your perspective on this is uh, is terrific so thank you so much uh, this has been great. Wednesday will be uncomfortable as usual. The chemistry here is much better than with Ludwig. So, um, you know, I'll fight through Wednesday, and I look forward to talking to you again on Friday, my friend. Oh, it'll be fun. It'll be uh, it'll be good to a couple more games, and uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they come out. of the, Obviously, I don't think whether they win or lose against Winnipeg says whether the Stars are good or bad, but it is a it will be a fun one to look back on and see kind of where things go especially in this division yeah absolutely and for those listening thank you so much for listening to our podcast spits and suds right here on 105.3 the fan on the odyssey app and wherever you can uh, find your favorite podcast we do want you to favorite we do want you to download because that helps us we're trying to build this thing together so we can create a real cool local dallas stars podcast for you that's why we upped it for three times a week that's why we continued with Craig. That's why we brought on Sean Shapiro another two days a week. So three times a week, you get the Stars content you deserve. But you got to spread the word to other Stars fans. Support this podcast. So thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you once again on Wednesday.